Welcome to Future Charlotte, the podcast where we talk to the people who are shaping the future of our city. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. Our guest today is Donald Shoup, Distinguished Research Professor at UCLA in the Department of Urban Planning. His work has really revolutionized the way a lot of people view the impact of parking, development rules, and land economics in cities. And he continues to produce provocative work about the ways parking degrades our urban environment. I think it's not too much of a stretch to say he's made parking, a seemingly mundane topic, into something fascinating and perhaps even sexy. Dr. Shoup, welcome to the Future Charlotte podcast. Well, thanks for inviting me. Let's dive right into it. You've said that cities are doing the exact opposite of what they should be doing when it comes to parking. And a recent story about you was headlined, Free Parking is Killing Cities. So lay out for me some of the problems that come with abundant free or very low cost parking in our cities. What's the problem? Well, I think it's an example of of things that have happened in urban planning over the long run. you're too young to remember, but uh, urban renewal was once the, the savior of cities, the idea that we should tear down the blighted parts and uh, rebuild them. Uh, and of course, that turned out to be a disaster. Um, and we now do uh, just the opposite. We're looking at the historic preservation of the older areas of the city. And I think that we look at back at what we lost through urban renewal was just catastrophic. Uh, So we've just made a 180 degree turn. Often in planning, we make these U-turns so fast, we don't remember we were once going in a different direction. And we used to build high-rise public housing, thinking this would solve the shortage of housing for low-income people. And since then, much of it has been torn down and we look at scattered site uh, public housing or uh, vouchers for low-income people. It's just the opposite of what we had been doing. And I think, uh, I, I hope that we'll look back at what we've been doing with parking in the same way, uh, that uh, we keep uh, almost all of the curb parking free. It seems just natural. Uh, that it doesn't seem to have any cost. Uh, there's no reason to charge for it, uh, except that if you build a new building without much off-street parking, the on-street parking gets crowded. So we solve that problem by having off-street parking requirements. Uh, so everything that is built has to have plenty of off-street parking so it won't overcrowd the free curb parking. Uh, And I think that we'll probably, uh, we're already beginning to see that that was a disaster. The off-street parking requires raise the cost of housing and of everything else. Uh, That you, if you want to build something, first you have to build the parking and then the city lets you build something to finance it. Uh, That the parking comes first. People used to say that in architecture that form follows function and then uh, form follows finance, and then form follows fashion. But it's really form follows parking. When you look around, that just about everything is is, uh, strongly affected by the required off-street parking. And many, many land uses have much more land devoted to parking than to the building itself. Say for a fast food restaurant, the parking lot is usually at least three times bigger than the fast food restaurant itself. Yeah, in Charlotte, you know, I've been surprised if you look at some of the aerials of new 
uh, urban buildings that are being built, you know, right in the center of Charlotte, sometimes adjacent to the blue line, our light rail, you look at an aerial of the site and it's basically a large parking deck with, you know, a narrow strip of apartments tacked onto the front or an office building adjacent to it. It really is shocking when you start seeing how much acreage is devoted to parking in our urban cores. Hey, you can't really unsee that once you notice it. Yes, I, I hope more, more people begin to think the way you do. Uh, and so I think that they, these are two policies I think are the wrong way around. The cities will say, well, we did just the, exactly the wrong thing. We kept curb parking free and we required lots of off-street parking. So I hope cities will begin to charge for curb parking and remove off-street parking requirements. So that's one of the ways which I think that we're doing everything exactly the wrong way around. And uh, just to back up to, you know, urban renewal, which you mentioned, we had a disastrous history with that in Charlotte as well. And as you said, the city and the county now are trying to undo that and bring back some uh, neighborhoods that were scraped clean and replaced with government buildings. Um, it is a, a case where we seem to make a 180 and maybe we will do that with parking as well. So, well, some cities are already doing it. Uh, you've probably, well, maybe you haven't, but a, a number of cities have removed all their off street parking requirements. Toronto just did this, Minneapolis, uh, St. Paul, San Francisco, a, a small town like Bastrop, Texas, uh, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, up and down, cities are beginning to realize these parking requirements were ridiculous because for every land use, you had to say how many parking spaces were required per something, you know, per square foot of the land use or the number of, of uh, tennis players at a tennis court or gallons of water in a swimming pool or something like that. There had to be a, a, a number of parking places per something. And, and urban planners learn nothing about parking requirements in their ed planning education because uh, their professors have nothing to teach them. It, it's, it's more of a political activity than any uh, analytic process, but it's grown to be the 10,000 commandments for off-street parking. When you look at any city that it's that and I always do. I didn't, I didn't look at Charlotte's, but I'm sure I could find bizarre things. I was speaking in Dallas just last month, and uh, I looked at their parking requirements. So they required one parking space for every 25 square feet of a dance hall, uh, which means that the, the, that the parking lot is 16 times bigger than the dance hall, or one parking space for every 50 square feet in a bingo parlor. Uh, <laughs> Sounds very scientific. <laughs> That's right. But if you were a planner and you were asked to say, well, they were having a bingo parlor boom in the city, what should the parking require be? Well, what would you do? You'd simply copy what some other city has done because there's no way to tell what it is. But Dallas had one of the most bizarre parking requirements. It was one parking space for every million gallons of sewage capacity at a, at a sewage plant. Wow. <laughs> it, it was 
Well, when you see these these parking requirements, you realize they have no basis in reality. They, they, they're just a bureaucratic bumble <laughs> to, 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 to say that we have a parking requirement for something new. So a lot of people will hear this and maybe they've never thought about parking before and they'll think, OK, what what's so bad about it? You know, there's a I like driving to a building and not having to hunt for parking. I drive up and I go in the parking deck. And that sounds like a good deal to me. When when you hear that from people who don't really um, see the downside, how do you explain to them why if everyone is is building tons of off street parking, that's actually bad for the city? Well, everybody wants to park free, including you and me. But that doesn't mean we should make free parking the uh, centerpiece of public finance uh, and urban planning. I think that the, 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 the way to get across the idea that we've made mistakes in parking is to, well, show pictures of the, the, the most grotesque land uses. I think that many strip malls look like uh, a parking lot with a few stores. Uh, and you can see that that's not a place where anybody could walk. Uh, it, it creates a drivable city, but it prevents walkable neighborhoods. Uh, so I think the visual aspect of it, uh, chosen with, <laughs> with the right camera frame, uh, can, can, can make people realize that podium buildings with you know, 10 floors of parking and then 10 floors of an office building is a terrible way to, to build a city. Uh, that, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is show how the parking requires raise the price of everything except parking. That we have grocery stores. Parking requirements usually lead to a, a parking lot much bigger than the grocery store. So uh, uh, people who are too poor to own a car have to pay higher prices for their groceries so that richer people could park free at the store, that somebody has to pay for the parking. Uh, if the driver doesn't pay for it, who does? Well, that somebody is everybody, even if you don't own a car. Uh, it raises the rent in, in, a, in uh, apartment buildings. Uh, that it, it's hard to, that, that, well, there haven't been many studies of exactly how much it raises the rent, but one recent one found that it parking requirements raised the rent of, of apartments by about 17% to pay for the, the, the free parking. Uh, but you could, I think, I haven't really tried it out very well <laughs> to tell somebody before. Yeah, you, you, could, you could just think about it for a little bit. And it's, suppose you see you're looking for an apartment in a building. Now, there are two identical apartments. And one apartment comes with two free parking spaces, and the other one doesn't have any parking. Do you think that the, the rent for the two apartments would be identical? Do you think the, 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 the apartment with no parking would cost as much as the apartment with the two parking spaces? Well, we don't allow apartments with no parking, except in older buildings that were built before the parking requirements. So it's obvious that parking, required parking increases the cost of housing, but not just housing, of everything else. So I think that's one of the ways, uh, perhaps the most important way to show people that we've made a mistake. It looks awful and it's expensive. Uh, I mean, that's one definition of a, of a, 
a, a great planning disaster. Is that something that has gone seriously wrong and costs a lot of money. And that's what we have. And we've certainly been talking about that in Charlotte with the housing price increases that we've seen. People are thinking about that in ways they haven't before. And you know, we actually have the first parking-free apartment projects that the city is allowing, the first new construction ones, which are underway now. So those will be interesting test cases to see um, how those function. Well, I, well I, do, I don't think there'll be many uh, parking-free apartment houses. I mean, that's a rather uh, hopeful way of thinking. It's not the way people would think about it. It's an apartment with no parking. That uh, I think that when you remove parking requirements, there are not going to be many buildings built without any parking because we're, almost everybody has a car that I think it's, it's useful to give... Uh, the option for people to to have an apartment without parking, but not, not all apartments want to come without parking. That if you're willing to pay for it, you should you should have the option of parking. Say when Buffalo removed all of his parking requirements, um, people thought it would be a catastrophe. There would be parking-free apartment buildings, uh, and they would all be that way. That the only reason that that developers provide parking is because they have to. But when uh, Daniel Hess, a professor at the University of Buffalo, did a study of projects after the parking requirements were removed, the, the, the parking supply declined about 17%. You know, it's, it's important, but it isn't going down to zero. Many buildings provided more parking than were previously required. But uh, more buildings provided less, uh, and only two provided none. And they were affordable housing projects that couldn't have been built if they had had to provide all the, the previously required parking. So I think it, it will take a while before the, the effects of removing parking requirements will be seen. I, I don't know why there's a maybe one reason there's an apartment building in, in Charlotte with with no parking is that there are plenty of other parking garages that they can rent uh, uh, parking spaces in. Uh, that if they're public garages, maybe you maybe you have to walk a block to your car to get it in a garage. But for somebody who doesn't use their car every day, that's not bad. And uh, and some people either they're too poor to own a car or uh, they, for, for, for environmental reasons, they want to uh, live without a car. And you shouldn't say we will not allow apartments to be built without two parking spaces. That it's it, everything else about cars you pay for. You have to buy the car and the gasoline and the tires and the battery and the repairs and the insurance and the registration fee. You pay for everything about cars except for parking. And parking is often the most expensive part of owning a car. So the parking space is usually more expensive than the car itself. Say, it seems hard to believe, but the uh, the uh, average price of a of a of a, an owned vehicle in the United States is something like five thousand dollars. 
Why is it so low? Because so many of our cars are so old. The median age is now 12 years old. How much would you get if you wanted to sell your car? If you went to a used car lot and say, <laughs> I, I want what do you give me for this? It would have well, four digits. It would have four digits. I can tell you that. <laughs> and you could never build a parking garage for that, for that. So I think most cars are worth less than the parking spaces they're parked in. Yeah, uh, I was I was shocked when I started talking to developers years ago and just heard how much it costs to build even a surface parking spot. I think the figure they quoted me in Charlotte was uh, around 16,000 per space for one large surface parking lot that I was talking to someone about. And that, I mean, that blew me away at the time. Yes, and it's a hole in the fabric of the city. I mean, it's, nobody wants to walk past a parking lot uh, uh that I think most people don't think about parking until they arrive someplace and have to get get out of their car. But I think, and I think another reason we made a mistake is that is that so few people, as you say, including yourself, have, have thought about parking. And I think when most people think uh, that conducting research on parking is like watching paint dry. Uh, that <laughs> why would anybody do that? Uh, that say in universities that there's, they talk about equality all the time now, but the, the universities are very status oriented. You know, they have chancellors and vice chancellors and assistant vice chancellors and deans and provosts and professors, and associate professors, assistant professors, and then graduate students, the undergraduates are, are ranked as seniors and juniors. It's a very hierarchical place. And, and they, uh, the, uh, the parking spaces are all distributed according to rank. Uh, that, that, that it's obvious that a chancellor will get a better parking space than a freshman. Uh, so it, there, UCLA has 187 different grades of parking, um, just very finely attuned to your, 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 your status. Uh, but so I think that it's not just parking, that the topics that professors uh, study, uh, very national affairs are very important and international affairs of the state government is a big step down and local government is parochial. And what is the lowest status thing you can study in local government? Well, it would be parking and sewage, I suppose. Um, so I was a bottom feeder for all of these years. There were very few other people who paid any attention at all to parking. Uh, but there was a lot of food down there and a lot of room down there. So I was able to, you know, to, to I think, to figure out things that other people had just ignored. I mean, anybody who was the first, among the first people to study anything is going to find a lot. I mean, if you thought of gay studies or, or g gender studies or things like that, if other people had ignored it for a long time, it's easy to discover things for the first time. We've talked about some of the things that are wrong with the way we've built cities maybe backwards, almost designing them around parking requirements rather than the, uh, the other way around. What does a better, more rational system look like? We've mentioned some of the elements of this, like 
you know, removing parking minimums, but how should we be thinking about this? And more specifically, how can we be thinking about retrofitting our cities uh, that grew up in the auto age? Well, I think it'll be surprisingly easy, but it'll be very slow and we'll, we'll never get back to, to any uh, initial Eden. Uh, but I think that uh, I have three recommendations. One is to charge the right price for curb parking, which I uh, say is the lowest price the city can charge and still have one or two open uh, curb spaces. Uh, so you'll always see a curb space wherever you go, just waiting for you. It's just what you want. That's all you want. Just one or two open spaces is enough. So if you charge the lowest price that will achieve that result, uh, that's the right price. It's like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography. I know it when I see it. It's not difficult to explain and it's not difficult <laughs> to do in practice. The, uh, the second thing I recommend is that is to remove off-street parking requirements that we've been talking about. You don't need off-street parking requirements if there's always enough on-street parking. Um, and then uh, the third thing is, which I would recommend for Charlotte and any place else is almost the place to start is with parking benefit districts. And I think that another thing we made wrong with parking is when we do have paid curb parking, the money goes into the general fund and it just sort of disappears. The city will spend it on anything, anywhere. Um, and nobody sees any benefit. But in the parking benefit district, the city commits to spending all of the meter revenue to pay for added public services on the metered block. Uh, that if you have the meters, the revenue goes to fix your sidewalks, to in some cities give free Wi-Fi to everybody, to have historic street furniture, uh, clean the sidewalks every night and remove graffiti every night, steam clean the sidewalks twice a month. So plant street trees and trim them. So that when you get out of your car or you walk out your front door, you can see all of these benefits. They're, they're, they're obvious to you. And you know, if you have a, a parking benefit district with paid parking, this is what you'll get. If you don't have a paid parking, you won't get any of it. So it's sort of a raw pragmatism that would make Machiavelli blush maybe, but it just says that <laughs> here's the benefit of having paid parking. And this will uh, uh, counter the, the opposition to paying for parking. Nobody wants to pay for parking, but in any, in, in any you know, community meeting on what should we do with parking, uh, the, the drivers will say, you know, this is terrible, you know, that, uh, that, that this is, uh, you're, you're charging us for just for parking our car. Uh, that sort of the paid parking derangement syndrome is that uh, sort of an automatic reaction to the idea of, of parking, paying for parking that uh, uh, causes you to um, lose touch with reality uh, and, and, and to say ridiculous things that you wouldn't normally say. But I think if you if you have these parking benefit districts, and many cities have them now, I don't know if any in North Carolina, but Texas has a number of them, but in California and Washington, D.C., and a few other cities, that once people begin to see the benefits of charging for, for curb parking, they'll say, I, I understand what you mean, uh, that 
that once I was uh, speaking in Ventura, California, it's a coastal town north of Los Angeles. Uh, and because uh, I, 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 I have a second life going around uh, preaching about, uh, uh, about paid parking. And anyway, I g gave a talk at the city hall and it went very well. But I stayed in the town for three or four days afterwards. I often do is to make it a tourist. So I get a vacation. And every time I went into a restaurant, uh, the head waiter or the owner would come over to me and say, oh, Professor Shoup, I liked what you said at City Hall the other day. And I would ask them, which was about charging for curb parking and removing all street parking requirements and having a parking benefit district. And I said, well, what did you like about it? Did you think there'd be less traffic and less air pollution and less carbon emissions? And they all looked at me as though I was the dumbest person on earth. And they said, no, we want the money. You know, that they wanted, they wanted the revenue to fix up their beautiful uh, 19th century main street, which had fallen on hard times. Um, so they, they, they established the parking benefit district. And one of the, the many things that happened is one that I hadn't predicted. They hired uh, police cadets uh, to uh, supervise the parking meters. They had to show people how to use the parking meter because they're pay stations and you, you also pay by cell phone. So it was new to people and you explained the, the uh, parking meters to them. And they actually had cards uh, the, from the city that showed that they would pay for the per, for the parking for the for the person learning how to use the meter. They, they would show how to use it with their own uh, city parking card. And they hired the nine police cadets, probably more than they needed. But one of the, the, the surprising results of this uh, uh, system was that the, the, the crime reported crimes on the street declined by 40%. Uh, and it was simply because there were these people costumed as police officers who were walking up and down uh, they also enforcing the meters, giving tickets if somebody hadn't paid. But this presence of, of sort of official-looking people uh, deterred uh, uh, offenses. And I think that's another benefit of parking meters. I think, just think of it yourself. Like I talked about two, two otherwise identical apartments. Well, just think about two otherwise identical uh, city blocks, and one of them has uh, paid parking and a, 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 park, a, a, a police cadet supervising it, and the other one has free parking and nobody there. Who do you, which block do you think will, will have the higher crime rate? But in addition, the, the block with parking meters will have cleaner sidewalks and uh, uh, healthier street trees, uh, no graffiti, and a number of things. Just think about it. Two blocks, one with a parking benefit district and one without. And then if you throw in the additional point of is there off-street parking on the block, the block with off-street parking between every two stores is going to look much less appealing than a block with uh, nothing but stores. As we talk about, you know, these changes, one thing that's come up in Charlotte is the question of parking maximums as well as eliminating parking minimums. I'm curious if you feel like that's a policy 
that's needed as well, you know, telling people you can't build more than X amount of parking, or if in some way those are as nonsensical, kind of, you know, just based on uh, intuition and guesses as parking minimums. Well, I think both the minimums and the maximums are arbitrary, but there's much more justification for a maximum than for a minimum because you know, the maximum might be based on, well, how much traffic is there in the area? Can the area handle more traffic? What is the air quality in the area? Can it stand more emissions? Uh, but uh, I think the simplest policy, which some cities have done, Mexico City is the, uh, by far the biggest city to do it, is they, they keep all the parking requirements except interpret them now as the maximums rather than the minimums. Say if the minimum uh, was, was meant to estimate uh, how much parking is enough, then the maximum just says you can't provide more than enough. Uh, that if this is what you said after years of, of, of passing laws about parking, this is what you said was enough. Well, then that becomes the maximum. So you don't have to do any work except change the uh, definition of what the parking requirement is. It's, it's a maximum, not a minimum. Yeah, that's a pretty easy policy change to make. You can just control F and change maximum to minimum. So do that in an afternoon. I'm curious, after decades of studying parking, are you, do you ever get tired of it? Or are you still finding new things that interest you as much as when you started? Well, I think what's interesting is I, I get plenty of invitations from people like you. Oh, and how do I spread the message? I think I, I, think I spend more of my time now trying to explain the message and spread it. And COVID has is, helped is because I, I had been invited to speak all around the world, but it's expensive for the, for the host, uh, for the airfare, the hotels and things like that. It was great for me and my wife because we were able to go to, you know, just about everywhere. Um, and then um, COVID came along. As a fact, the, the last, the last, tour I went on was in Canada. It was October. And I thought, gee, October must be Indian summer up there. It's great. When we landed in Calgary, it was covered with snow. Uh, but it was a, 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 certainly a, a wonderful town to visit. Then we went to Winnipeg, which was even better, I thought. And then there was a, a horrendous snowstorm there. And we had to go back via Calgary. We had to sleep on benches at the airport overnight. <laughs> <laughs> to get the plane the next day. And I haven't been uh, touring any place since then, but because of Zoom, it's so much cheaper to invite somebody to speak on Zoom. And I've spoken in Tasmania and Hong Kong and Belfast, Northern Ireland, all around the world on, on, on uh, podcasts or more normally um, Zoom sessions for conferences. So I think that I've, I've enjoyed being able to, to explain to people what I found, but, but I think that there's so much more to learn. Like some of the questions you asked, well, how much cheaper is a, an apartment without parking? You know, that you have to, it'd be better to have more studies like that. Uh, and I'm 
I'm spending more time now talking about parking benefit districts because I think they're the political key to getting things done. And I would certainly recommend these for Charlotte. And ask me why not? What's wrong with this idea for Charlotte? The only downside for cities, and I'm sure it would uh, uh, occur in Charlotte, is that the, the, the meter money already goes into the general fund. Uh, the city manager, uh, the council don't want to lose that money. Well, I was speaking in Pittsburgh, and that was the main objection. Uh, and in, uh, the, the parking meter stopped operating all at 6 p.m., which is common. Why 6? Uh, that's the only variability in parking prices. It just goes off a cliff. And so I said that, well, what you could do is tell uh, uh, entertainment districts that if they agree to, to run the parking meters in the evening, they'll get all the revenue. And uh, the city uh, wouldn't, the, the general fund wouldn't lose anything because they would get the, the meter money before six so the neighborhood would get the meter money after six. Well, Pittsburgh tried this. They called it a parking enhancement district. Uh, it's quite popular. And the, 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 the arrangement is if the, if the neighborhood agrees to these variable prices during the daytime, you know, demand-determined prices, uh, then they will get all the meter running after 6 p.m. And in one area, they run the meters till 3 a.m. Now, how there are not many cities that run their meters till 3 a.m. El Paso is another city because they have the same deal. They get to keep the revenue. So I think if you told the, the city council in Charlotte, well, here's what El Paso has done and here's what Pittsburgh has done, is that if they run the meters longer, the neighborhood will get all the money. Uh, and I think that... Uh, uh, that would be a good way to do it. And then, of course, areas that don't have parking meters at all, they'll say, well, I want a parking meter because <laughs> there's no money coming in for the, for the parking now. We want all of the money. Uh, so I think that uh, there, there, there are reforms like this that I hope will spread. And just as it, there were people who, who warned that urban renewal programs were Negro removal and and historic vandalism and things like that. It took a while to get the idea across. So I think I'm spending more of my time trying to spread the word rather than to increase it. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us. Um, as we come to the end here, I'd like to ask just one final question, which is if you could be emperor of the parking world, have a magic wand, whatever it might be, and make one change, to positively impact the way we approach parking, what would that one most crucial change be? Well, I think the first one would be parking benefit districts to, to show people the money. Uh, that this is what if if you have a parking benefit district, then you can see. Well, if we had parking meters, uh, we could have all of these uh, other things that we would like to have. In fact, I think the the best reform in Charlotte would be not even to mention parking. Don't use the word parker. Just go to a neighborhood and say, well, what is your highest priority? Are your sidewalks in poor condition? Uh, are the street trees dead? Would you like to have free transit passes for everybody who works in the neighborhood or everybody lives in the neighborhood? And you find out what, what 
what they want. And then they say, well, here's what other cities have done. They put in parking meters and use the revenue to pay for that. Then I think that would be the, the first thing to do. And then the next thing would say, well, gee, well, what should we charge? Well, then you charge the demand-based prices. And then the next thing would be, well, maybe we don't need these off-street parking requirements. But I think the parking benefit district will get things going. So where can people find out more if they uh, hear this and they're intrigued? Well, they can go to my website. It's, uh, you probably see, Shoop Dog, S-H-O-U-P-D-O-G-G, one word, dot com. And it has a lot of the publications, for one thing, and uh, I think references to podcasts and, and videos and all sorts of stuff. That Everything that I've done and a lot of things that other people have done. But we'll put a link to that with the episode. Again, I just really appreciate your time and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you like the show, please rate it, share it with your friends, and keep looking to the future, Charlotte.